0: Hey guys, this is Georgia with Ancient Aliens, and you're listening to That One Time I Was Abducted by Aliens with Jamie and Brie. You're listening to That One Time I Was Abducted by Aliens. I'm Jamie. I'm Brie, and we're two sides of the coin. The boys are back in town. <laughs> Bye. You guys, we're back with another episode, and we have a pretty sweet interview for you this week. Yeah, we get to sit down with Steve, Steve Murillo. And if you guys
1: don't know him personally, Bree, why don't you tell me a little bit about him? So Steve is currently the head of UPARS LA, and that stands for the UFO Paranormal Research Society in Los Angeles. But he wasn't always involved in the alien community. After graduating high school in 1977, Steve went on to attend the United States Naval Academy where he received his Bachelor of Science degree in Systems Engineering, eventually spending the next seven years as a commissioned officer in the Marine Corps as a jet pilot and maintenance officer. Once his active duty ended, Steve took a job working for the aerospace company TRW where he became the power system engineer for a satellite program known as TDRSS. and Data Relay Satellite System, Flight 7. Steve stayed on the program until it successfully ended and chose to go into real estate. But this is where the story turns. Steve had his first UFO experience and since that day, he's been hooked. After reporting his sighting to MUFON, he was invited to attend a meeting and soon became part of the board.
0: We won't get into the whole story now because Steve will tell us all the details in our interview. Buckle up your seatbelt, strap into the spaceship. We're gonna drive around for about 10 minutes because you know we're only allowed to drive spaceships for 10 minutes, it's our human birthright.
1: And if I could drop this in, Jamie and I did hear clicking throughout the interview. I did leave some of that in there, so if anyone listens and hears it, please let us know know we know we get a little paranoid or you know we joke about people listening but i thought this was really interesting that we did hear a lot of clicks in this interview so look out for that
0: yeah it seemed at one point like me and brie both looked at each other right when it happened like carl was clicking right fucking in he was just like oh what's that you said something i'm i'm carl i am here i am your (laughs) fbi agent what are you saying and i even at one point covered the camera i think on that laptop you did actually all right guys hope you enjoy
2: how you guys doing? We Good. are
0: wonderful. How are you? Good. So excited to talk with you. Yeah,
2: excited to talk to you guys.
0: All right, so why don't you start off by telling us your name.
2: Hey, guys. My name is Steve Murillo, and uh, I am the director for a, an organization called UPARS Los Angeles. UPAR stands for UFO and Paranormal Research Society Los Angeles. We were formerly MUFON Los Angeles, but in 2013, we uh, changed our name and became UPARS.
1: And you were with MUFON before for about 13 years, is that right?
2: That's right. Yeah, I was the uh, state section director for uh, MUFON LA.
1: That's awesome. So what would you say is the big difference between UPARS and MUFON?
2: Ah, (laughs) well UPARS, okay, so the major difference is this. UPARS looks at paranormal activity, paranormal, you know, we investigate the paranormal as well as UFOs because over time, we realized that paranormal activity is associated with ufology.
1: Most definitely. And how did you get involved in MUFON in the first place? How did you get drawn to this whole subject?
2: It's a long story. So, uh, and, and I'm sure some of you have already heard this, but I'm going to bore, bore those people and tell you the story for those that have not. Um, so I was a um, pilot. I went to the Naval Academy, graduated in 1982, systems engineer, uh, went into the Marine Corps, Uh, commissioned as a second lieutenant, went on, Uh, went to flight school, uh, flew something called an A-4 Skyhawk, which is something that they've decommissioned like years ago, uh, replaced by the F-18. But anyway, so I was a a military pilot, and when I got out of the military in 1989, I became an engineer at uh, TRW, a little uh, company over here in uh, Manhattan Beach, actually, where I live now. And, um, not, you know, started, uh, I was a systems engineer for TRW for a couple of years, worked on a satellite called TDRSS. I was the electrical power subsystem engineer for that satellite. Basically, I integrated the array, the uh, solar array, the batteries, the power control unit, the, uh, the bus, everything, made sure it was all correct and working right for Flight 7. Anyway, we did that for a couple of years. And after a couple of years of engineering, I realized that it wasn't my life's calling and uh, I'd always had an eye on real estate as a, uh, I always somehow had an idea in my mind that I'd be a realtor or you know, use real estate to make my uh, fortune, so that's what I did. I became a uh, broker, got into the mortgage business, got into investing in real estate, and uh, I've owned my own real estate mortgage company since 1992, uh, right here in Manhattan Beach in the same location since 94. Uh, So fast forward from 94 as a realtor doing my thing, 2001. I'm uh, sitting at the rooftop deck of my house, looking at the ocean. It's about 9.30 at night on a Tuesday in May and uh, I'm looking at the ocean and uh, my wife and we had a hot tub up on the top rooftop deck. My wife hands me a glass of wine and I'm jumping in the uh, hot tub and then she goes, oh, I forgot mine. So she walks back downstairs to get her wine. So I'm sitting in the hot tub looking at the ocean and I see these seagulls coming at me, what I think are seagulls at first, and they're well lit, you know, they're just very bright, and I'm thinking, why is somebody shining a spotlight on seagulls? That's the first thought that came to my mind, and as these things flew silently over my head, I could see that they were not seagulls at all, but these triangular-shaped objects, like a, like a three-pointed ninja throwing star, each one, and there was one in the lead and two on each side, kind of an echelon formation, and uh, they flew silently over my head. To my eye, they were about the size of a car from across the street. And uh, they were, each one of them uh, was lit, meaning the whole object was light, not little twinkly lights on each object, but each one was a very coherent light. It kind of gave you the feeling that they were, the light would, had, had substance to it. I, that, that's the best I can describe that. Anyway, they flew over my head, and as they did, they were moving kind of fast. And my jaw dropped, and I'm watching these things go from west to east, directly over my head. And as I'm watching them go east, three of them separate. The lead and two separate off and slide across the sky to the left at a very, very high rate of speed. And got a really good separation I'd estimate about a mile, mile and a half. And the other two kept going in the same direction, as if they were left behind. And then the two that were left behind, after about three or four seconds just literally slid across the sky. In the blink of an eye, they were back in formation and gone. And I had never seen anything like that in my life. I knew that they were not military. I knew that they were not normal aircraft from our inventory or anywhere else. And that they did they displayed something that I had, you know, basically they just they showed to me that inertia, gravity, had no meaning to them, whatever they were. And I jumped out of the hot tub went running to my wall, you know, screaming, and, uh, you know, got on uh, Netscape at the time and did a search for uh, UFOs in Los Angeles. Actually, before I got got on the search, I called immediately. I called uh, LA Tower, I, LAX, you know, I'm, I'm just south of LAX. called Tower Approach and Control to see if they had anything on their radar that was anomalous and they all reported negative. So I uh, jumped on Netscape and did a UFO search. Just typed in UFO Los Angeles, I guess. I don't know what I typed. And this form comes up, and it said, you know, did you see a flying saucer? Basically, you know, fill out this form. I'm like, thank God. So I fill out this form, and it's MUFON Los Angeles' form. And uh, I get a call a few days later from a guy named Bill Casey, who interviews me for about half an hour or so. asking me a lot of, you know, very direct, but very, very in a very calm way. Bill has this very calm mannerism. I gave him the whole story, and I was very excited. And then he uh, just kind of said, well... Sounds like you had a really, really good sighting. He goes, would you like to uh, come to one of our meetings? And I was like, yeah, of course. Yeah, I'm in. What You know, when? You know, just tell me when. <laughs> so it was basically the next week, and I showed up at the meeting and uh, started, you know, just started going to all their meetings and meanwhile immersed myself in all of the uh, books, any book I could get my hands on from the day about ufology and just read everything I could. And that's how I got into the uh, subject.
1: So the sighting lit a fire under your mat uh, pretty much under your ass (laughs) i feel like that happens with a lot of people sometimes it only takes one sighting or one experience to just become completely obsessed almost like you're just enveloping yourself in the whole subject and it's like you can't get enough information and you're on a completely new path
2: yep that's exactly right but you know as i uh, went on with my investigations then i uncovered my own memories Um, from when I was a child and it turns out that my obsession had roots from way back then. So for example, when I was a child, my mom used to take, you know, kind of like babysitting, she'd take us to the library and just let us turn us loose in the library to go find our favorite book. And for whatever reason, and I'd forgotten about this until, you know, I'd gone uh, for whatever reason, I'd go straight to the UFOs and, uh, you know, the paranormal section of the library. And I remember leafing, even as a little, little kid, leafing through these books with pictures of UFOs and knowing, just had this knowledge that they were real. Not, no no question at all, meaning like I knew they were real. And um, just as a little kid. And I'd forgotten all about that.
0: So it's funny that you mentioned that because my next question was going to be usually, you know, when people have a phenomenon later in life that happens to them, they then start to start remembering the things that happened to them when they were younger. And is there any instances that you maybe realized happened when you were younger that you only remembered now?
2: All these memories were surface memories, uh, but and there were no there was no trigger, for example, like like no trigger where they all, I just all came flooding back to me. I'm kind of I'm not that smart, so. Uh, you know, I'm kind of a, a dullard. so it took a long time for me to kind of like link the old memories with what I'm learning and investigating and realizing holy sh- you know smokes. A lot of the things that I remember from my childhood are things these folks I'm interviewing are describing, abductees in particular. Uh, so I started to um, well here here's an example of how before the before the sighting, I had uh, an experience that I couldn't figure out. And what it was was, let um, see, I was just starting my mortgage business and something came on TV to do with abduction. It might have been communion or something like that. Some, some, you know, something came on TV. And when they, when the screen flashed a picture of a an alien, so to speak, a gray or whatever it was that they flashed up there, I think it was a gray, the best semblance they had at the time of a gray. I literally kind of like for whatever, I had a panic attack. Do you know what I mean? And and I couldn't I couldn't understand why I'm having a panic attack watching some stupid show. You know I'm like my I broke out in a sweat that I couldn't control. Wow. I'm like breathing kind of fast. You know I'm like what the hell is this? You know so I shut the TV off. Went into the, you know went into the bedroom, laid down. You know just like closed my eyes and just calmed down. But I and, I and I didn't put the two together. I just I just didn't understand. I I didn't think oh wow I must have, you know I, I had no. No connection at that time because a lot of, all these memories had been repressed or forgotten or just kind of pushed to the side. But over the years of um, investigation, you know, these little memories surfaced here and there, and be, eventually the picture kind of came into not clarity but just some sort of some semblance of oh, so maybe I'm one of these dudes, you know.
1: <laughs> the book and the movie communion, I think it brought up a lot for a lot of people actually. The artwork for the, the cover of the book and the movie, for some reason I feel like the face that they put on the book, I've read a lot of people that have had a, a physical reaction the way that you're describing. I know when I saw it for the first time, it was so scary that I didn't want to look at it anymore. It was just, I saw it the one time and I was like, oh God, I can't look at it. It like brings up a negative Mm -hmm. type Mm -hmm. of emotion that you just don't want to face. And it's interesting that you say that because like I said, I've heard a lot of people that have had similar reactions to that.
2: So yeah, that whole phenomenon uh, we know is of course real. You know, it happens to millions. The indication is it's happening to millions of Americans. Not you know, not just Americans. Of course, it's it's a worldwide phenomenon. But uh, yeah, yeah, it's real.
0: So you said that you were a pilot in the military. <clears throat> we know that a lot of military pilots, um, you know, later after their careers ended with the military, come out saying that they, you know, saw UFOs while they were up flying planes for the military. Yep. Is this something that you experienced?
2: Nope, never saw one. Never saw a one.
0: Wow, that's crazy.
2: Well, it's you know, it's a big sky, big sky.
0: That's very true. <laughs> that's very very true. Big
2: sky, little airplane. But a buddy of mine did, a close friend of mine did. So we were uh, roommates or we shared a house as we were going through jet training, so he was a close friend. He had an experience when he was in the military. Uh, a UFO flew directly across his path as he was returning to base. And uh, he made a mistake of talking about it in the ready room where all the other pilots hang out and he was made fun of for uh, many months until, his, until the guy that was riding with him, who didn't see it at the time, came back from another uh, flight and uh, basically said, you know, he was white as a sheet. And my buddy asked, hey, what's wrong with you? And he said, I think I've seen your uh, UFO. So yeah, and he described it as uh, like basically a silver kind of, you know, uh, silver metallic saucer. Like like he's, he goes right out of the Jetsons is what his words were.
0: <laughs> now at the time when he told you this, were you inclined to believe him or were you kind of with everyone else kind of making fun of, of him about it?
2: Oh, no, no, this is later and uh, I was not I was not part of his squadron anyway. You know, he's not he he's a he flies 747s. He's a captain for American Airlines. I can't give his name of course. No. No, he's a very rational guy and he's he doesn't make up stories at all. You know, he's he's not you know, he's not Mr. Stoic, but he just doesn't he doesn't BS. You know what I mean? If he's if he's telling you something, he's telling you the truth. And he has and there's no and he has nothing to gain and everything to lose by telling a story like that. So
1: Yeah, pilots are definitely credible. Even with your background, I feel like you make the best type of investigator for this field because you can see something and automatically go through a checklist in your head, I'm sure, being able to identify what that object could be. With someone else, maybe like us. You know, I'm sure there's some things, a lot of things, actually, that we wouldn't even know to look for that you would know to look for and say, oh, no, that's just this or that's that. And know when it's actually something that is unidentified.
2: Yeah, there might be something to what you just said for sure. Um, Yeah, I have a way of looking at things. I have an open mind, but I'm also very discerning. So I don't. The first reaction is to tear it down. Like if you're observing something in the sky, break it down to its components before you get carried away, you know. And what could it be before you, uh, you re- leap to conclusions? And there are a lot of people out there that see things in the sky. You know, once they start watching TV shows or whatever, it starts to connect them to look up more. And uh, sometimes they see planets or what have you that they swear are uh, UFOs. I had a, a group of people actually who um, thought they were being visited every night. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it was a, a large red object and it flashed sometimes, it scintillated, but it was always there at the right t- at the same time and the same spot. And so I started asking him questions, is it, you know, basically, is it in this location? And, of course, it was, it was a planet. It was the planet Venus. But it's, you know, when, when, a, when a, planted, a planet is low in the sky, you have more atmosphere and more, you know, debris in the sky to kind of like cause it to scintillate and, you know, blink and what have you. So the planet, which is quite bright, is scintillating. But when it gets a little bit higher in the sky, it'll stop doing that. Scintillating is sort of like twinkling.
0: Yeah, I could definitely say there's been instances in my life where I've seen Venus. And at first I was like, oh my God, is that like changing colors and moving? And then, you know, I'm a little bit more familiar with the sky. So then once I get my bearings, I'm like, oh, it's just Venus over there. But that's definitely one of the planets that are easiest for people who don't know what's up there when they look to immediately be like, oh my God, is that a UFO? Right,
2: right. The biggest, um, you know, like if I see something stationary or even moving, uh, what I look for, let's stationary, okay, immediately I'm gonna think it's a planet or a star. And I'm going to stare at it for a while to see what it does. But if it's moving, what I'll look for are erratic movements that a normal aircraft could not do. You know, changing direction instantaneously 90 degrees or, you know, or 180 degrees or 135 degrees, just like moving without inertia, and that's like a a giveaway, but not always. I mean, I've seen all kinds of UFOs. A lot of times, these things travel in pairs or threes, and they just move across the sky, you know, straight line, they don't change, you know, but yet, their movement and their precision and, uh, you know, no navigation lights, you know, they, their, uh, and and their altitude uh, are giveaways.
0: You said that you started going to MUFON into all of these meetings. Where did the change happen when you went from just attending the meetings to being a part of MUFON and kind of climbing the ladder?
2: You know, it wasn't about three meetings or four meetings before I was invited to join the board by the leader. His name was Don Waldrop, and I think he just saw, you know, he saw the uh, the earnestness, I guess, in my eyes or whatever. <laughs> you know, I was. I, and I was just and I was doing whatever I could to help the meeting, you know what I mean? Just help where I could. Um, so he said, "Hey, you want to be a board member?" I was like, "Of course." So he brought me on, and then uh, shortly thereafter, maybe after a few meetings, maybe six or seven months, he and his wife decided to move to Florida, just sort of off the cuff. So that was it. He moved to Florida, and I got a call from his boss, and she invited me to become the uh, the director. I guess he recommended me, and so I became the director.
0: So you were only in the community for a very short period of time before you kind of got pushed to the top of all of this.
2: Yeah, it was less than a year, I'd say.
0: Wow. And what did your
1: wife think about all of this? You go from seeing this one sighting that she just so happens to miss by chance. Yeah. And then you have this kind of life-changing experience, really, that kind of leads you down this path. So where does she lie in all this? Is she a believer now? I'm sure with all the things that you're doing, is she a part of this in any way?
2: Not actively, but she is an open-minded person. She had, you know, through me being involved with this, she's had sightings. So she is very supportive. My wife's like an angel, you know. She never, never once made fun of me or <laughs> doubted me or, you know what I mean? She's always supportive, you know. And it doesn't take up a whole lot of my time, uh, in our, you know, it doesn't take a lot of time out of my, our lives. So she's, um, she's fine with it. But yeah, she's because of this like we've had skywatches out in the desert where she's had experiences wow and scenes that are unusual. So she knows her her mind has been pried open enough where she's open to it you know what i mean she uh, she understands
0: yeah it's very similar to brie and her husband you know he he didn't quite maybe believe in aliens when they first got together but over time kind of happened and then them being together and then having experiences together you know it opens a door i think there's something mm-hmm. really in line with having someone who's seen something and someone who hasn't spending time together because eventually you do end up seeing something
2: yep for sure For sure.
1: And I always think everything's meant to be. So, I mean, for me, like, I start to connect dots in your story. And, of course, I've made the dots in my story. So... You know, from my perspective, I see it as your background makes perfect sense to you being very knowledgeable with what's in the sky, having this experience where it brings up all these experiences that you have had in the past that now you're remembering. Your wife gets to also kind of be a part of this with knowing what's going on. Right. And so where are you now? And what are the things that you've kind of put together with all of this? Because you did mention the paranormal which I think is really great. I don't think everyone's on that level yet. I think people are still too nuts and bolts about it. They're not connecting that there's definitely a paranormal side. And in my opinion, I think consciousness is definitely at the top of this whole field. Yep. So is that somewhere where you've landed at as well?
2: No, it, precisely where I've landed, you know? Yeah. Consciousness is it. Right. But that's saying a lot and then not for us, you know, as without the data. I have a feeling it's just a, um, there's a world of information that we haven't probably, you know, tapped into yet about how our consciousness interplays with this phenomenon and how uh, our perceptions of the phenomenon can change and based on how they want us to perceive them or the phenomenon itself. In other words, the phenomenon is intelligent. Whether it's, whether it's uh, aliens or a craft or whatever it is, it has innate intelligence and the ability to shape our perception to something appropriate, if it wants to, uh, shape our perception to something appropriate for us to allow us to put that information into context. I know that didn't make any sense at all. Grammar was terrible.
1: I got but, you. I'm yeah. there.
2: You know, oftentimes the information is presented in a way that you can grasp, although the information can be outlandish. You know, the, whatever, the situation can be outlandish, but the information is presented in a way that you can kind of uh, coalesce. Um, not always, not always. And I think that's why you have people who end up with psychotic breaks and schizophrenia and other sorts of outcomes from this post-traumatic stress because their minds are not flexible enough for whatever reason. And I don't know what, what causes that, what shapes that, but I think that sometimes the human psyche is not equipped to deal with uh, this sort of phenomenon. The phenomenon can present itself in a traumatic way and then it it warps the psyche a little bit. Does that make sense?
0: Absolutely. So I know you spent 13 years at MUFON and after 13 years is when you left to start UPARS. And can you tell us a little bit about the transition between the two entities that you
2: had? It was abrupt. Uh, Basically, I was released from my post as State Section Director for on Los Angeles, and it had to do with an all, it was a little bit of a disagreement between myself and my boss. My investigator, my Director for Field Investigations, got into a tiff with her, and I backed him up, basically. So she, at the time, was not, I'm not going to go any further than that. I don't want to say anything mean. But
0: no, no, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We understand.
2: But it was all about basically that. It was just, we had reached a point where we, and, and and keep in mind, we had never. I'd never seen my boss in the 13 years I'd been doing MUFON Los Angeles as a state section director. I'd never seen her at a meeting. And then uh, just prior to a, an international conference that was going to take place in Los Angeles, she decided to insert herself in our day-to-day going Zons and you know she started and she was it was strange and so anyway it didn't end well and you know I you know I was released but it, actually I had asked kind of the guy to fire me basically <laughs> the guy who was going to be taken over for the, as the director of MUFON.
0: So then what kind of motivated you to start UPARS then?
2: Honestly I was ready to kind of just drop it and just go on my merry way and you know do my own investigation so I had a last meeting with the board you know we had maybe five people on the board. I said, hey, look, this is what's going on, and uh, it's time to shut MUFON down. You know, we're, we're not going to be any more. And they were all like, no, 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 you know, we can't do that. And, uh, you know, let's continue as something else. And I was like, okay, so what do you, what do you guys want to do? So we came up with a name, and it was at – we were at Dupar's. I don't know if you guys have ever he- heard of Dupar's Mm-mm. in Studio City. It's a restaurant. It's very – it's old and – kind of famous. I think it's still there. Anyway, we were at Dupar's. It was a late night. We were having, you know, everybody was eating something and Cokes and, you know, patty melts and things like that. And we came up with the name Upars, but we it had nothing to do with Dupar's, but yet that, that's where we were when we came up with the name.
0: <laughs> Definitely a synchronicity there. For sure.
2: Yeah, there was. There was. We didn't realize that for many, like a couple of years later, we we're going, do you realize we came up with that name at Dupar's? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, you know, everybody kind of chimed in. Well, we should it should be something about UFOs. And somebody said, yeah, let's do paranormal in there. And somebody said, call it a society because that gives it, you know, like credibility. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so that's how we came up with UPARS.
1: Well, you know, I, I hate to say this because MUFON is really a staple when it comes to any type of credibility with ufology. But I sort of feel like MUFON is in a box. And it's Stays there. And I feel like with you, PARS, you guys are really going towards the future, the now, and leaving space for other realms of paranormal, whatever it is, to enter. Where I feel like MUFON really, those walls are up where you have to fit into that box of what kind of proof do you have? What are the evidence, the very concrete. And I gotta tell you, it's so hard when it comes to this, the farther you get in because of the consciousness aspect, it's almost impossible to measure sometimes, which means you don't have that concrete evidence. And so I feel like with MUFON, they shut themselves off yeah. to a certain extent. Yeah. And you kind of leave doors open for other possibilities and other ideas and all kinds of other things that have happened to be shared.
2: Yeah, absolutely. You're you're absolutely 100 percent right. I agree with you. You know, it's like, but it's not it's not MUFON's fault.
1: Absolutely, I, I understand. You
2: know, because it's like they came from another era. Mm-hmm. You know, MUFON kind of came out of the ashes of APRO. You know, these these are all organizations that were studying the physical phenomenon, the sightings, right? That's what they were after. That's because in those days they were still trying to acknowledge. It, you know, prove the existence of UFOs. Today, it's like mundane. We, you know, if you're in the field at all, the you know, there's no faith. You know, for me, it's just knowledge. I know UFOs exist, right? I don't believe in UFOs. I, there's no, no belief in me, right? I've seen them, I know exactly what they are. I No, don't know what they are, but I know they exist, right? Like, to the bones knowledge. That's not belief, that's knowledge. Anyway, so I have no interest in, you know, like characterizing, was this one slender gold? Does it have rivets on it? I'm I'm not interested. I don't care, right? <laughs> they come in all shapes and sizes and they do various things and some of these things are amazing. And as you pointed out, it's all turning towards consciousness which is really about the experiencer, right? So, you we have to really start to analyze what is happening on a case by case basis. What are the commonalities? And what do those commonalities then add up to? What are, you know, what does that mean, right? Where does that take us? Where does that what conclusions can we draw? The conclusions we draw will be based on our temporal understanding of time space, right? Our our physical understanding of where we are. But I have a feeling that this phenomenon transcends our dimension. We know that these things are interdimensional. At least they appear to be, Yeah. Right? Don't know that for a fact because what the hell does that mean, right? But they seem to be able to defy basic laws of physics and material. For example, they can dissolve through walls. They can move in and out of our... They can appear, you know, like spontaneously just appear in front of you and then blink out again. (laughs) Well, what does that indicate? What conclusions can we draw from that? And, uh, well, okay, so these things are in and out of our time space. It means that they're going somewhere else, right? They appear, reappear, disappear. So they have another place to go besides this 3D reality that we experience. You know, so what does that tell us? You know, what conclusions can we draw? You know, Michio Kaku might say, well, the ability to move through dimension like that would would mean that they have some kind of incredible command and control over an, a lot of energy, or maybe not right? Absolutely. How does it all work?
0: I think we live in a world today where people, especially now in this whole alien field, are running out and talking about evidence, evidence, evidence. We have all these smartphones, we have cameras, we have recording devices, and we have all these things. And a lot of the skeptics out there throw out, well, if aliens are real, why don't we have physical proof of them? And I want to know maybe your take on that, or if you've encountered something during your research that you could maybe point somebody who says that in a direction of, Oh, there is evidence. Take a look at this.
2: Well, the experiencers themselves typically have trademark or consistent physical marks on them. You know, there might be scoop marks, little triangle marks. You know, after an abduction, like a fresh abduction, let's call it. Uh, you know, for days afterwards, even weeks afterwards, if you shine a black light on on a person that's been abducted, you'll see markings. Not always, but you'll see like handprints or like even to the point of like suction cup fingers. It's crazy. Oh my you know that and these marks don't go away with washing or scrubbing right get a brillo pad on there and you can't you can't get rid of it so markings implants are those real well we know that certain implants uh you can basically put a magnet up to and they'll try to leap out of the right you can pulled a magnet up to this thing that, that the person has no idea how it got there and it has magnetic properties it wants to pull through the skin right you can see the skin coming up and the thing trying to come out uh, yet when you cut it out and put it into a you know like analyze it it doesn't seem to have any magnetic properties at all but it's made of keratin and a bunch of like fibers and weird stuff and seems to be infiltrated with uh, you know vein you know arteries from the uh, body just the most bizarre phenomena little triangular marks on the body, uh, in particular females, usually below the uh, navel, right around the pubis, that area, just above the pubis area, marks on the arms, uh, marks behind the ear, scoop marks or implants behind the ear, just weird stuff like that. But it's common. So that's a place to start. If you want physical proof, that'd be a place to start. But those physical things are not as important as the experiences people report. Mm -hmm. You know, the things to them. And, uh, you know, we have to be compassionate and open minded when we listen, you know, because these people are oftentimes traumatized. They need somebody to, to hear them out.
1: How do you feel or what do you feel about the idea that some abductions are not physical abductions, but they're abducting them in a spirit form, almost like they're abducting their consciousness? And so the person that is having this remembrance of their abduction, they're seeing their physical body, but their physical body isn't actually there.
2: Uh, so like a dream state kind of abduction, right? Where Exactly. The etheric the body, if you will.
0: Absolutely, You know, yes.
2: I, I, I've come across many cases like that. If you talk to someone like David Jacobs, he will tell you that 100% of the cases that he's investigated are physical, meaning they, they were there one moment and then the physical body of the person was not there. In his in his hundreds of cases, he's never come across somebody who was in the bed, knocked out unconscious, the spouse couldn't revive him, and yet when they finally came to, they had the story of abduction. He's never had that. I'm not discounting it. I'm not saying that that doesn't happen. I think that they, it could I, I don't know of anybody personally, uh, abductee, who uh, describes that. But I, I have read cases like that, and so I think it maybe does occur or could occur. Um, the etheric body or the spiritual body, whatever you want to call it, I think is real. You know, we know that uh, through astral travel, you can kind of, with the envelope, you know the silver cord, and you can take a flight and all that. Tibetan monks practice that regularly, Right. Other people experience that regularly, so that's, I think, if the etheric body is real and can kind of like escape the physical body, then it's logical that a race of beings who has mastered that technology and understands it could abduct or have an experience with you in that state. In terms of the abduction phenomenon that I'm familiar with and have investigated and spoken to countless people about, it's a physical thing.
1: Let's scratch the word abduction. Okay. Let's just say.
2: Experiencer. Maybe,
1: yeah, any type of experience. People that have dreams on a regular day basis or, you know, let's just say frequently with other types of beings that maybe tell them messages or they spend time with them. Do you think that that's something that's common or something that you've come across?
2: I have come across it. But I don't know – you know, I think they're prob- – I would say it, it doesn't mean that they're not common, though. Like most of my investigation has dealt with physical experiences, but it doesn't mean that that's the only – Type of experience people have. Do you know what I mean?
1: Absolutely. From experience, and I think from other people' stories that I've heard, that you know have dreams with other types of beings, and maybe they get a message or sure. something crazy happens, and then a piece of that dream happens to transfer into their physical life, and then it's like, whoa! How the hell did that happen?
0: Well, and I think a, a big part of it too is like you know when you have a physical abduction, you know there is some sort of evidence that you have, right? So you're a little bit more inclined to go and talk to somebody about it. But I think that it's possible that we kind of just live in a weird time where Maybe these people who are having experiences with ETs during their dream time and, you know, their astral traveling and stuff, maybe don't want to come out and say that because that makes them sound 10 times crazier than just saying, I was abducted by aliens. Like you're just having crazy (laughs) dreams. Exactly. I mean...
2: As if one's crazier than the other, right?
0: Well, exactly. It's true. 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 (laughs) But I I feel like me and Brie are really lucky because we get to interview a lot of people and hear a lot of stories and people are very open and honest with us. And I will say that a lot of people do tell us things more on that astral kind of consciousness realm that maybe they wouldn't be Uh telling other people so maybe it's not common for you to come across it but it's interesting because we seem seem to see it a lot more throughout a lot of the stories we listen to
2: see so precisely i've not listened to as many stories as you in terms of the abduction experience i've responded to people who report the physicality of it but i haven't listened like you guys have to a lot of other accounts so yeah i'm sort of like Mufon. Was you know I'm looking no no well I mean but I'm <laughs> you know I'm I'm sort of I was my research has been directed a certain way yeah and not considered but now we're starting to wake up to this not considered the possibilities that you guys are suggesting which make in in my mind they're just as important and valid do you know what I mean
0: absolutely yeah
1: we've kind of put this theory in our head. From what, we've con- what we could gather is that when we're entering a certain state in dream time, our bodies are able to let go of this normal 3D state that we're always in that's you know, judging and has all these pre-concepts to everything. We let all that go and we're able to travel maybe to different realms or dimensions yeah. where maybe other beings, whether that's a physical or a non-physical, can maybe make a certain contact with us because we've dropped all that behind. Absolutely. And maybe not like an abduction, in air quotes, where, you know, they're doing experiments on right. you. Or they've taken you. Uh, yeah, exactly. Right. Or they've taken you, but maybe it's just a one-on-one type of experience. Yep.
2: So if, there are one, if there's one type of alien that exists with us, then there are millions. Okay, so that's the first thing we have to understand.
1: And that's if scary.
2: Huh? <laughs> yeah. If, no, if there's one, there's millions. You know, always people always go to the gray because it's a physical abduction, blah, blah, blah. But if there's one type of alien, then there are millions that have that have the ability to reach out to us. And and some of those are going to reach out in a consciousness to our consciousness. And our consciousness It seems in, you know, through our research, we seem to under, I'm I'm kind of coming, I'm personally coming to the conclusion that our consciousness is not just, it doesn't just exist in this realm, in this 3D time space realm. It exists simultaneously in other realms. Mm -hmm. And so when you go into dream state, what happens is portions of your consciousness, your walls. You brought up So when we experience this 3D reality, moment by moment, moment by infinitesimal moment, we are choosing this construct. But when we get out of that, when we drop our guard and go into dream state, we might have the ability to, for our mind to leap into other dimensions. I think somehow we're gifted with that ability. And I think it may reside within the pineal gland, but it may not. Maybe the pineal gland in our brain are just interpreters of consciousness for this 3D reality. And the consciousness exists in multiple levels simultaneously.
0: That's
1: an excellent point. And that's true. I mean, I would assume that we would be dealing with a physical type of ET races and maybe a non physical type as well. it has got to be a mixture.
0: Well, who are we to say that it's physical or non physical? Uh, you know, we can only describe things in our earthly ways, we can't describe things in a universe way. So I'm sure there's stuff out there that, you know, we're just yet to understand and we can't grasp it.
2: Yep. Yep. Absolutely. And
0: that's half the fun.
2: Half. It is. It is. <laughs> you know, somebody asked me, why are they doing this? And my answer at the time was, I think if they explained why they were doing this, even giving you direct information, we probably wouldn't be able to grasp. I don't know if we'd be able to grasp their intent, the the, the reason, you know what I mean?
0: If someone were to ask me that question, my answer would be, why not? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like why, like they're, why not? They're, if they're out there and they see us, why not make contact or do whatever it is that they're doing? Yep. Yep.
1: There's just so many layers to this whole phenomena and trying to figure it out and the reasons there's the layers are endless. And to me, it's, it's just a journey. I think we're all just apart we're just all players on this journey and it's just interesting the type of people that you know you meet like when we got to meet you at contact and the different conversations that you know we had it's like we're all just a part in this big game and we're all trying to figure it out and i'm sure no one is going to figure it out but to me that's half of the fun
2: i agree it's like a puzzle. Yeah, it is. It's just, um, but it's uh, it's endless.
0: Yeah. So we do this thing on our podcast called Fact or Sci-Fi where we take kind of subjects around the alien world and we either say that it's something that's fact that we think or happened or sci-fi, we think it's kind of a science fiction-y kind of idea. So we want to play a rapid fire game with you here. Okay. And we're just gonna yell out things and you tell us <laughs> if you think it's a fact or a sci-fi. Are you down? Sounds
2: like fun. Okay, let's go.
0: Okay, Draco Reptilians.
2: Sci-fi. No, no, no. No, I'm sorry. No, fact.
0: Fact? Okay, okay. Fact? Okay. Fact, fact, fact? Fact.
2: okay. No, you know why it threw me off? Because Draco was uh, the name of a character in that movie, Enemy Mine. Remember? Yeah. That was his okay.
1: okay. Okay. The Dulce base.
2: Mm, I'm still on the fence about that. Oh, that's
1: what we call a middle bitch. Call it a middle bitch. That's my favorite place to sit. I call it the middle (laughs) bitch because I can't fact and I can't sci-fi. So I'm just like I call middle. It's trademarked
0: middle bitch. Other (laughs) podcasts have started calling themselves middle bitch when they can't decide something, and we want to claim that we started this.
2: Right on, man. Okay, great. A middle bitch on that one.
0: All right. What about adrenochrome?
2: Never even heard of that. What is that?
0: That's where, like, the elites of the world are killing children and crushing their adrenaline glands and consuming it to oh. stay young.
2: Oh, that's disgusting. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> there might be elements of truth to that. Disgusting, but uh, let's let's move on.
0: Okay, deal, deal. <laughs> okay, scratch, scratch that. Okay, the Men in Black.
2: True. That's that's real.
0: Okay, um, Nazis hanging out in Antarctica.
2: That might be real, but the th- thing about that is, if they really had the technology to get down there, you know, flying saucers, why didn't they kick a- kick our butts in World War II with that technology?
0: Yeah, we we've said that too. We're a little iffy about it. So was that a sci-fi?
2: That's a sci-fi, I think, oh, or an embellished right. sci-fi. Yeah.
1: Okay. How about Eisenhower meeting with extraterrestrials?
2: That's a possibility, I think.
1: So is that a middle bitch?
2: That's a middle bitch. Yep.
1: So that also includes this conspiracy of Eisenhower forming a treaty with ET, making a
2: deal, allowing us to be abducted on a case by case basis. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. 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 Middle bitching. Middle bitch.
0: Okay. okay. What about black-eyed kids?
2: Oh, well, that's a, you know that's for me. Uh, it's it's cool stories, but I've never come across a black-eyed kid, so I've got to say. Sci-fi for now. Okay. But it's scary as hell. James.
0: Okay, I'll say. What about... Have you ever heard of Val, Valiant Thor? Sure. Okay, fact or sci-fi? It. So.
2: I'm going to go with fact on that one. Wow! No! Really? Wait, okay. Yeah. So
1: how does Eisenhower Meeting... maybe meet with E.T.s, but then Valiant Thor could be a fact?
2: Well...
0: Ooh, I'm surprised. Ooh, I know, we're really surprised by that one.
2: <laughs> Are you? Yeah. Well, you know, there was a good book written about Valiant Thor, but, you know, it, it might have been the lore at the time, uh, you know... The whole contact experience was different back then. So, and Valiant Thor was like this cool-looking dude that just a regular human-looking guy, right? But uh, exceptionally brilliant, could speak all these languages, and he was just always there. So, I don't know, man. It's it's a cool story. So, I'm gonna go with like real on that because I like it.
0: Okay, all right, that's cool. That's cool. Honestly, I like it too. So, I I, I feel you. <laughs> Okay, what about the Baltic Sea anomaly? Have you heard of this? Oh, yeah. That's real. What about uh, Marilyn Monroe's death being related to her knowledge of aliens?
2: I think there was a cross there, yeah. For, mm. She was murdered for a number of reasons. That was one of them.
0: Okay. Nice. Okay, what about the flat Earth and or hollow Earth?
2: Hollow Earth possible. Flat Earth, sorry, guys. I'm not I'm not down with that. Yes.
0: It's okay, us either, that's so okay, don't worry. That's perfect. Uh, so what like about now. the moon being an artificial satellite?
2: Yeah, I'm down with that. Hollow Earth. Factors? It's it's there's so many anomalies about the moon and the way it sits and the eclipse and everything else. It's just too. It needs to be investigated, for sure. Oh,
1: I agree, hundred percent. Okay, what about the first moon landing being staged?
2: I think that it's possible we got out there, but I think that a lot of the photos and film that were released to the public were bullshit. And and you can and you can and you can prove it. You can show it. You can show how the well. For I had. One speaker come, he was, that was kind of his deal. And he took a lot of the photos that, um, he showed that a lot of the photos that were presented to the public were actually, had actually been touched up. And he showed the touching up, you know, like he took them down to layers and showed you like the streak. You could see hand streaks, people like, like, you know, X'ing things out and blacking things out. And you're like, why did they do that?
0: Well, not only that, but did you know that the original footage of the moon landing NASA no longer has? And they 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 said that they accidentally taped over it, Ah. which I think is like such a weird thing. Like, it's this important thing. You spent all this money to do this and then you accidentally taped over it. That just seems so iffy.
2: The most historic thing that ever happened to mankind since we, you know, invented fire. Right. And you lost it. You destroyed it. Give me a break. Holy shit.
1: So do you think that some of the footage might have been real? Or maybe we did land and there's like a couple photos, but then the rest of it's faked? Or do you just think the entire thing is faked?
2: No, no, no. I think it's possible that we did could have gone. But I think it's also possible that a lot of the stuff you see is fake. Yeah. In other words, it was done in a studio. So I'm not saying we didn't go. But I'm saying that a lot of the crap that they put in front of us to, to validate you know to prove that we went was bullshit
0: I'll, I'll agree with you on that one okay what about your thoughts on Bigfoot factor sci-fi
2: oh that's fact 100 yeah
0: hundred percent
1: all right what a, what about the mothman
2: that's another that's a that's a real weird paranormal cryptid I think that it existed yeah. the phenomenon happened you know and it still happens so mothman is like a hundred percent now I won't say that Ooh! Mo- Mothman is stranger than Bigfoot by far. Yeah, But there are so many more people, thousands of sightings of Bigfoot. And when I say Bigfoot, when I say Bigfoot, people think of this big hairy dude that kind of like tromps through the forest real nice, <laughs> and kind of peaceful, lives in, a, in, you know, among the the big tall uh, trees in, you know in the western United States, and that's not the case. These things are seen everywhere, not just in the United States, but everywhere. And they vary in size from six foot to 12 foot tall to even larger. And they, they're they are aggressive, they're scary, they make all these crazy noises, they talk to one another, they have tribal instincts, they they, they are the real deal, But uh, and there are thousands of people who come across these things, not just one or two.
1: We have a family friend who goes out searching for a Bigfoot quite frequently. His name is Chuck Borowski, mm-hmm. and oh. he's brought my dad along recently. And, you know, they come back with all kinds of crazy experiences. And crazy and, stories. And they've been able to audio tape these like sounds that they very guttural yeah yeah. it's it's the craziest thing and it's another thing that i would consider very paranormal because even though it seems very physical and something you'd have all this proof of you can never actually seem to catch the thing they have these experiences out there in the woods and there's no other proof than what they've been able to catch on audio and creepy marks and and so I've definitely become a believer through them.
2: Oh, wow. They're super intelligent. They, they can yes. defeat any game camera out there. Like there are groups that will go, you know, people who are being visited regularly or being harassed regularly at their farm, you know, by these animals or whatever they are. And they'll put up game cameras, hide the game cameras, whatever. These things know where they are. They know how not to trigger them. They know they'll turn them around. They'll defeat the game cameras. So, yeah, all you get is the audio of the howls. Or you'll get that guttural talking. That's bizarre, yeah. right? The Sierra sounds. have you guys heard those, I the have, Sierra yeah, sounds. Yes. Yeah, very. Strange.
1: So then, what about the dog man?
2: Dog man. You know, fewer people see the dog man than Bigfoot. And the thing about the dog man is, it's so non-evolutionary. It doesn't make any sense from an evolutionary standpoint. In other words, a, an upright walking dog doesn't make physical, biological sense or anatomical sense. There's no uh, no advantage. When, you, when, you, when you're when you shaped like a dog's hind legs to be walking around, right? Yet there's, and here's the weird thing about Dogman, when people see it stand up, not always, but oftentimes witnesses will be close enough where they hear, hear cracking of bones. Ooh, what the this thing heck? stands up, which is telling you that this thing is not uh, anatomically suited to stand, but it stands nonetheless and walks around. It has the body or the, the torso and arms of a man, but with claws, it's got the legs of a wolf or a dog, And here's the weird part about Dogman. Because you wonder, well, why don't they just call it a werewolf? Yeah. More often, you'll hear the people say it looks like a German shepherd's head. Oh. They won't say a wolf's head. They'll say it looked like a German shepherd head on top of a man's body. And that's like the the ears are different. You know, they're not a wolf's ears. The face is different. It's not a wolf's face. But yet people are seeing this thing all around the United States or not everywhere, but, you know, in a lot of different places. So.
1: Would you give it a fact or a sci-fi?
2: I think it's fact.
1: Ooh, I'm surprised. Okay, and then what about Skinwalker
0: Ranch, or even just the- Skinwalker?
2: I've been there. So
0: <gasps> I- can you next time you go take us with you? Like, no. can we go there with you? Don't
2: want to no? go. No. Don't want to go.
0: No way. Why? Because
2: I, I got Skinwalker, man. The the phenomena followed me home, and it still. <gasps>
1: You got a hitchhiker.
2: I got a hitchhiker, and it's still goofs with me every now. And no way. Yeah.
1: Oh my gosh. So We're gonna need to sit down
0: when we see what contact and talk about this.
2: Yeah, maybe you got you got if you know a shaman or something, you can get rid of this curse or whatever. You
0: know what? We'll bring some sage yeah, with yeah. us and some of our crystals or
2: some really good weed. We'll smoke it.
0: There you go. Do you remember the guy who tried within the suspenders who tried to clear <laughs> Bree's throat chakra? No you don't remember that oh my gosh he was a believer did it
2: involve his tongue was he trying no
0: you don't remember we were all drinking at the table the first night and he was in the suspenders and he kept staring at brie from like yeah yeah yeah, yeah. the
2: guy with the suspenders
0: yes we'll do that on you to get rid of him okay cool yeah yeah okay
2: find that guy again and he'll do it for me
0: maybe all right so my last question and it's my favorite question right now because i really think this to be real that birds aren't real and they're just government drones (laughs) What? You haven't heard this conspiracy yet? No. Did you not notice that during the government shutdown we didn't see, like I didn't see any birds? I didn't see them flying. I didn't hear oh, any birds.
2: <laughs> see? Come it's on. A... No,
0: not... it's I my favorite birds. conspiracy right now.
2: Oh, okay. Well, it's a good one. I like it. It's funny.
0: See, it's fun, right? Yeah,
2: yeah. I like that.
1: Is that a factor of sci-fi?
2: No, that's a sci-fi.
1: That's no. a hard sci-fi. All right. If
2: there's any right. birds like watching us, it's Twitter.
0: Ah, I like that. I like that. Very like that. true. All right, Steve, thank you so much for coming on and, you know, letting us talk to you and interview you.
2: You betcha, Brie, Jamie. It was my pleasure. Thanks so much for uh, having me on your incredible show.
0: Thank Thank you. All right, we'll see you in a few months at um, Contact. Thank you so much, Steve. You have a (laughs) really good night. Thank you so much, Steve. We can't wait to
2: see you. It'll be great. Thanks, girls. Take care.
0: Bye. That interview, though. It was so good. I feel like we could talk to Steve for forever. And it sucks that we only had an hour because we've had so many good conversations with him at Contact that we can go on for hours and hours with him. He has so many stories.
1: And, you know, with any interview, you want to kind of get an introduction for people that don't know him. So it starts a little like, you know, womp, womp, and then you can get into the real stuff. And then from that point on, we could just take off in a million directions. So I hope you guys really liked that. We love Steve. We're going to see him again
0: at Contact this year. Hopefully another interview soon because there's so many things that he's very knowledgeable about mm-hmm. that I would love to get his opinion on some more things. Absolutely. It was really fun
1: doing that speed rally of factor size. The rapid fire,
0: quick draw. Yeah.
1: I'm telling you we should make a game out of it or something. Well, he hears so many different stories through you, Paris, and so he
0: knows, I think, everything under the umbrella. I think we were both pretty shocked about the whole Valiant Thor thing, though. We
1: really were. I, I mem- wasn't
0: expecting that. I remember when you were editing the episode, you sent a clip to me you like how big the audio was when we like screamed at each other about it. It was pretty funny. So you guys, if you want to check him out, check out his websites. We're going to link them down below in the description of this
1: episode. If you want to find out more about Upars, the website is upars la.org. And you guys can also check them out on onstellar.com. And also, if you guys want to attend the UPARS meetings in LA, they host them every Wednesday in Studio
0: City. We want to thank you guys so much for tuning into this episode. We love you all so much, and we are excited to go back next week. I don't even know what the episode's going to be about. We have yet to decide. Yeah, well, it's going to be a good one. I promise.
1: And on that note, send us your stories. We want to get back into hearing from you guys and being able to play your stories so you guys hit us up
0: for that and don't forget to keep looking up hit us up on instagram at that one time i was abducted slide into our dms hit us up at that one time i was abducted at gmail.com and follow us on all the social medias that are out there i just want to say thank you to beaver dam wisconsin <laughs> and i want to say fuck you mountain view california we love you all good night